Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. It's October, and you know what that means. It's time to celebrate the achievement of scientists from across the world with the awarding of the Nobel Prizes, in particular for the achievements in physiological medicine, chemistry or physics. Before we dive into the detail of this prize-winning research, we're going to take a moment to consider who wins a Nobel Prize, how that's decided, and whether or not it's accurately reflecting the efforts of those from across the world doing great research. Now, in the will of Alfred Nobel, a famed Swedish inventor, most known for inventing dynamite, which helped revolutionise a lot of industrial processes, digging of tunnels and mining, amongst other things, but also became a symbolic and important tool of modern warfare that was later developed and expanded to really revolutionise the battlefield, so to speak, so much so that he often carried the nickname of the Merchant of Death. In his will in 1895, he established lots of his wealth to be left for a prize to be awarded to outstanding achievement that benefits humanity in a variety of categories, including chemistry, literature, physics, physiology and medicine, and peace. And these prizes have been awarded every year since then. There's a couple of rules and regulations about who can win. Now, the nomination process varies from prize to prize. And generally, it goes that a selection committee sends nomination forms out to around 3,000 people. They put in their nomination requests. uh, And then they obviously examined, decided upon, voted on by the nomination committee, which is about generally either six or eight people. And then the prize is awarded. Now, if you're deceased, you can't be awarded the Nobel Prize, even though your research may be fundamentally at the core of a particular groundbreaking scientific discovery. Also, if you are in a team of researchers or in a large research institution, you can't win the prize. An individual has to be named as a winner. Now, these might seem like fair enough rules, but it can be quite complicated, especially now in the modern nature of science. And also, the selection process itself has come under a lot of criticism and scrutiny, mostly because the selections made by this committee seem to sometimes ignore the achievements of some people at the, at the expense of others. And also, it focuses perhaps unnecessarily on a Eurocentric view of research and achievement. All these things considered, you just need to look no further than the Nobel Prize for Physics to really understand what this problem is about. For example, out of the 111 Nobel Prizes in Physics that have been awarded since 1901. Only two of them have been awarded to women. And more importantly, in the last, I don't know, 50 years, none have been awarded to women. And that in and of itself is quite alarming. Now that's not because there's not any groundbreaking physics research being done by women. It's more down to the fact that, well, the nomination and selection committee aren't even considering these candidates. People like Elisa Meitner were nominated almost 48 times for Nobel Prizes with no win. Uh, And that's just one out of many, many women who have been nominated to have no success, despite the fact that their research was pretty much groundbreaking. Even more depressingly, some researchers, such as Cheng Sheng Wu, were nominated more seven times for the Nobel Prize in Physics. And even her partner in research actually won for their work together, and he was awarded the Nobel Prize, not her. Things like that tend to grate a little with people and show that the Nobel Prizes themselves can be a flawed institution, much in the same way that Alfred Nobel was a flawed human. 
accomplished many great things, sure. Worthy of recognising some great efforts, sure. But not without flaws that need to be examined. So first we're going to dive a little bit more into the detail of the Nobel Prizes and how they stack up against similar awards from different countries in different regions and how they recognise people, what their statistics and performance are like and what that breakdown's like and what we can learn from both the Nobel Prizes and other awards across the world. Now let's start with the Nobel Prize in Physics, and the Nobel Prize actually record all the nominations that are received for a Nobel Prize, and they seal them up for about 50 years, and then they release them. So we can actually look through the historical record of Nobel Prize nominations and see who has been nominated to help understand this. And for example, there are some pretty big standout stories here that have been overlooked for recognition by a Nobel Prize. Now, Lisa Meitner, for example, was a physicist who specialised in radioactive and nuclear physics, and importantly, in the late 30s, 40s, 50s, she was a groundbreaking researcher in nuclear fission. Together with Otto Frisch, they basically defined how the fission process would work. And she was a tremendous researcher, winning heaps of prizes, the Leibniz Prize, the Max Planck Medal, the Otto Hahn Prize, the Enrico Fermi Award, you name it. She, her achievements in science are well known and well understood. But according to the Nobel Prize Physics Selection Committee, her 29 nominations over decades weren't enough for recognition, either in the physics or her 19 nominations in the chemistry category as well. And that can show you how a woman with an extensive and important CV was just conveniently refused to be looked at by the selection committee. Researchers like Jocelyn Bell-Burnell, who were involved quite extensively in understanding the way in which pulsar works, radio pulsars, is in fact the person who first discovered and recorded them. Now her advisor, Antoine Hebisch, and fellow astronomer Martin Rahl, were awarded the Nobel Prize for her work, not her. And that was quite a bit of a disappointment, especially considering her achievements in understanding astronomy and some of the great amazing features of our night sky. And Vera Rubin was a particularly great astronomer and researcher, and she's pretty much defined a lot of our theories around the way dark matter would work and how it would explain a lot of the unknown mass and energy in our universe. Unfortunately, since she died in 2016, we won't be able to award her a Nobel Prize, which is even more complicated because the experiments we need to prove and confirm her theories won't be finished or operational for decades to come. So little things like that show how many women are often overlooked, in particular, for the Nobel Prize in Physics. It's pretty much the worst offender. Other categories, such as biology and chemistry, fare a bit better. Uh, in the last 20 years, so since 1997, 44 people have been awarded a Nobel Prize in Biology or Physiology and Medicine. And there were six women who won that award, so about basically 14% of the winners, or roughly if you look at it as a per year thing, every year a third of the winners were also a woman, on average. In chemistry, the record's a bit worse. Uh, out of the 52 winners since 1997, there's only been one woman, which is, again, pretty alarming, but better than physics, because in the last 20 years in physics research, no woman has been awarded the Nobel Prize. And if you think that women aren't accomplishing science that is worthy of a Nobel Prize in the last 20 years, you're sadly mistaken, and you only have to look 
at the records of other major prizes to understand that to be the case. the major awards in science, particularly for United States-based researchers, is the National Medal of Science. It's been awarded since 1963 and is basically a presidential medal awarded to various researchers in different fields to recognise their outstanding achievements in that field. Now, in the category for physics, and we've sort of amalgamated and condensed the names so that they're all similar, sometimes it's physical sciences, sometimes it's general science or physics or astrophysics, we've sort of combined them all for the purpose of this discussion to compare apples with apples. In the last 20 years, since 1997, there's been 35 winners of the National Medal of Science in Physics. And five of those have been women. So on a per winner basis, that's 14%. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, the Shaw Prize, which is a prize as a prize in astronomy, which is a prize run out of Hong Kong, uh, named after a very famous research scientist, to recognise an outstanding scientific achievement. And since 2004, they have awarded 13 prizes, and one of those has gone to a woman. In Australia, we have the Prime Minister's Medal for Science, or the Prime Minister's Prize, and that's been going since about 1990. And in the category for physics or physical sciences, we've awarded 17 in the last 20 years, and six of them have gone to female researchers doing great work. Even the outstanding and well-respected Franklin Institute, which is named off and founded after the famed scientist and United States politician and figure, Benjamin Franklin, they've been awarding prizes since 1824. So they actually predate the Nobel Prizes. Uh, and it's actually really an interesting type of award, but in the physics categories, the Alexander Franklin Institute has awarded 22 winners or prizes in the last 20 years, and one of those has gone to a woman. So even in a really conservative view, uh, having zero winners in physics in the last 20 years for the Nobel Prize is not realistic for the, what the rest of the awards are doing. You can look at the groundbreaking researchers across many fields and to see that that's not the case, that there are no women available to be nominated. In fact, if you want to put it in, in a probabilities perspective, the fact of having no women available for an award of this caliber for so many years in a row is less than 0.0000001% probability of that actually occurring. Which means that it's not so much there's not people available, or there's not talented researchers who aren't standing up, it's more down to the selection process, and that needs to be examined by the Nobel Prize Selection Committee and nomination process, because it's not accurately reflecting the researchers that are out there doing great work. We analyzed 36 different global prizes, including the Turing Medals, the Albert Einstein Award for Science, the Wolf Prize out of Israel, the Heineken Prize out of the Netherlands, the Shaw Prize, nominations to the Royal Society, the Copen Medal, the Kyoto Prize, and so on. Prizes of global prestige for academic and scientific research from across the world in the scientific fields and the same as the Nobel. And on average, the number of women who have been awarded a prize in the last 20 years on those is around 14%. That's 
disastrously low, in my opinion, but that's still better than 0%. And it's still better than the percentage rating of almost all of the Nobel Prize winners, which goes to show we have a lot of work to do. Now, some places like Australia's Prime Minister's Prize or the National Medal of Science or even the, the Franklin Institute Awards are broadly pretty good in terms of the equity in gender division and what they've actually awarded prizes for. Uh, the Prime Minister's Prize peaks at about 60% uh, with female awardees in biology and about 35 in physics. Uh, so that's pretty good results. And you can see all the way down through uh, the National Medal of Science, the Franklin Institute and the Heineken Prize all have between 30 and 20% of winners being female, which isn't great, but it's still a lot better than a lot of other areas. So the Nobel Prize might be the premier award for scientific research, but it's not necessarily the most accurate reflection of people doing great groundbreaking scientific research. It's ignoring a lot of great researchers and the historical records show that these people are being nominated, just not selected. And it'll be very fascinating to look in 50 years' time to see how many times Vera Rubin was nominated and ignored for her groundbreaking research, and many others. If you want to check out all these different prizes, what categories they cover, when they were founded, the details of their percentage of winners, the number of winners, and so on, we've captured all that information on our blog, and I encourage you to go follow the links through to check it out, because it'll give you a lot of interesting information to infer the reading. Also, some ground research was done by geophysicist Micah McKinnon and compiling and searching through the physics awards database for the Nobel Prizes and finding out which researchers have been overlooked. And she has a great detailed research thread on this very topic, which we used extensively as part of preparing this episode. Another challenge with the Nobel Prizes is that it refuses to acknowledge the work of many, many people working together as a team. And that's the reality for modern science. A lot of these groundbreaking discoveries are done in huge projects with huge teams. Look no further than all the work that went into building the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And then the researchers from across the world who gathered, analysed and studied that data. Now, when the Higgs boson won the Nobel Prize in 2014. That was a great discovery and moment, particularly for the theoretical inventor of the Higgs who thought it up in his mind and went on to actually have it named after him in honour of that. But the researchers who discovered it did an important, important job too, which is not actually recognised by the prize. The same topic comes up again in the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2017, which was awarded to Rainer Weiss, Barry Barish and Kip Thorne. And together with Rainer Weiss's theoretical formulation of how we could capture gravity waves and Barish and Thorne's leadership in the LIGO project was the reasons why those three were selected as the winners for their decisive contributions to the LIGO detector and for the actual observation of gravitational waves. Now we've talked a lot about LIGO and discovery of gravitational waves. We've actually also interviewed one of those thousands of LIGO scientists. The LIGO project has thousands of scientists from across the world who work together not only to make the thing work and run, but also to study and analyse the data. And those thousands of researchers have all been involved in Nobel Prize winning research, but because of the way the system works, it does not recognised officially by the Nobel Prize. And in fact, even the selection of the three people named here can seem a little bit arbitrary. And that's according to Rainer Weiss himself. If you go to Nobel Prize's website, NobelPrize.org, they have an interview with Rainer Weiss where he talks about the fact that even amongst himself, he wasn't the first person to come up with the idea of how to measure and observe gravitational waves. He attributes 
Two researchers from Russia in 1962, Gertrude and Pustovit, along with Joe Weber, as coming up with a lot of good ideas that he would also help use and formulate and reference in his own work. And in his opinion, they contributed a lot to the formulations and discoveries that he made for how to measure gravitational waves that would go on to become LIGO. And if one of the Nobel Prize winners is even recognizing that fact that they're not the only person to have contributed to this prize, yet they're the only ones to be recognized, it sort of drives home the fact that we need to think a little bit harder about how we recognize the multiple, multiple people who have contributed to one idea. Scientists move past lone individuals toiling in their own mind, like Isaac Newton or Albert Einstein. In fact, realistically, Albert Einstein didn't work on his own. He collaborated with physicists from across the world. The lone genius model is not necessarily an accurate reflection, particularly of modern science. And our awards perhaps need to be modified as such. Other prizes from across the world actually do focus on awarding prizes, like the Eureka Prize in Australia, to whole institutes, research teams, rather than individuals because that's a fair acknowledgement of the actual groundbreaking research done by more than just one person. Nevertheless, the discovery of gravitational waves was the major physics event of the last year, so it is uh, something worthy of noting and awarding. This is the question of, of who gets the recognition for that needs to be thought through. The Nobel Prize for Chemistry went to Jacques Dubochet, Joachim Frank, and Richard Henderson, and their work was really fascinating into how we can better picture and analyze things using crystallography. And the problems with old X-ray crystallography and other things was that you know the cells would be moving, they'd be blurry, or they'd die when we expose them to X-rays. And by first freezing these cells with liquid nitrogen and then using really, really detailed electron microscopic beams, we could actually study the structures of objects and biological systems in incredible detail. And that's been used for everything from Zika virus through to making new antibiotics, capturing the photosynthesis mechanisms of plants. All these kind of different things have only been discovered because we're able to image them beautifully using cryo-electron microscopy. And Jacques de Bouchette, Jotun Frank and Richard Henderson really worked to make that process be stable and efficient. So that's why they won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry this year. Now Jeffrey C. Hall, Michael Rosbach and Michael Young were all awarded the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine for their discovery of the molecular mechanisms that actually underpin the circadian rhythm. The circadian rhythm is our internal biological clock, and it's what lines up our cycles of day and night, along with when we feel hungry, when we want to sleep, and so on and so on. And plants, animals, humans, all can adapt their rhythms of their biological systems to be synchronized with Earth's revolutions, the day-night cycle. And for that research into how that's got an actual physical and molecular basis rather than a psychological one is groundbreaking, fascinating. And for that, they're awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2017. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. So we celebrate the winners of the Nobel Prize this year, but we also need to think about ways we can improve prizes themselves. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.